Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monica, daughter of Persephone. This week, we're discussing chapters 29 through 34 of The Dark Prophecy. Well, this week, we have another guest. We had a guest like two weeks ago, it will be. And it's like deja vu because it's another monster donut guest. You just can't get enough of them. (laughs) I know, they're delicious. So true. Those monstery donuts. (laughs) I have a donut right here that I'm, it's in my eyesight. And um, so if I just start making awful ASMR noises halfway through this, just know it's because I'm eating this donut, it's tempting me. That is such an appropriate podcasting snack. I am in awe. <laughs> you should have donuts. So whenever you record yours, like this is this is the dirty secret of Monster Donuts. I don't actually like donuts. You don't <gasps> like them? Yeah. I, I'm so sorry. That was like I was you way more offended first. than I should be. <laughs> <laughs> now there's something about them. I I like some donuts, but. I, they're just not sweet enough for me. I'm like, I, I have a really, really sweet tooth. So. so what about like a Krispy Kreme glazed, stuffed, sprinkled, like it's just like ridiculous amount of sugar and then dripped in chocolate. What I imagine is a monstrous donut. <laughs> nah, there's there's one like bakery near my house in my, my or my parents' house rather. Um, Cause I don't live there anymore, but uh, that does this chocolate donut that's basically cake and those are like my favorite donuts and it's the only donut I like that's wow. I'm sorry I don't know if we said this is Emily yeah we did uh, not introduce your name we just started talking I'm about donuts so excited about donuts this is Emily from monster donut podcast uh, we had her co- uh, co-star her co-podcaster co-star um, we're stars co-star. <laughs> uh, Phoebe a couple weeks ago so we're just really happy to have you both yeah, thanks so much. Um, I'm really excited. I was just listening. The episode came out today, so I was just listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was super fun. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I'm very excited. Phoebe and I both love Trials of Apollo, so uh, yeah. And apparently they're slept on. I didn't know that. I'm not as plugged into the fandom as Phoebe is, so because mm. um, I, I came to like the second and third series pretty late. Uh, relative to the others yeah i know they are slept on our listener numbers have gone down since we started this oh, no. series <laughs> just i think not as many people have read these yet so they're like we're not gonna yeah, well they should agreed so if the people really listening good. are like we have read this so yeah. we're just preaching to the choir <laughs> um well so tell us so you got into the series late tell us about your relationship with like Percy Jackson, like, when did you start? Like, what's your story? What was the moment? <laughs> How did you become as obsessed as us? Um, well, so the the original series I read when it was first sort of coming out. Um, um, so that one, I think it was in middle school. I think I'm around, like, the same age as, like, Percy would be in the original series. Um, and um, I was really into Greek mythology, so, and I loved reading. So I just picked these books up, and then um, it was sort of uh, galvanized by Rick actually coming to, like, visit our town and, like, talk about the books and do signings and stuff. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Yeah, this is uh, – we've talked about it a bit at our podcast, but Phoebe and I are from Westport, Connecticut, which is where Luke Castellan's from. 
So Rick fully like came to our hometown, did a bunch of book re- like signings and stuff, and then was like, "Yep, this is where the villain where my of the book." From. <laughs> <laughs> like that oh, happens. Um, <laughs> um, but I was always super into the mythology, and I just loved these books so much. And then I kind of put them down for a while after mm-hmm. the original for series of five, like Percy Jackson the Olympians, was done. And then in college, um, Phoebe was still, like, super involved. We, we've been friends since high school. And um, she was super, like, involved with the fandom still and, like, still reading all the books. And she kept posting about them. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll start reading these again. And so I read uh, a few of the second series in my first, like, couple weeks of college. And then I sort of put those down because I got busy. And then I started um, from Lost Hero and read through... Uh, burning maze after um, graduating college so it was like a few breaks (laughs) Um, and then I never finished the trials of Apollo series so those will be the the last two books will be fun to do for our podcast because I have no idea what's coming oh (laughs) that's fun I feel like it's been interesting like I haven't been on the discord I haven't talked because I don't want to accidentally spoil anything for myself. So here, you know only a little bit more than me. Yeah, just just yeah. one more book. Just one one more book more. What, nothing one happens change. in it. <laughs> you know nothing, basically. Yeah. Nothing interesting. Um, and then also, like, who who is your godly parent? So I had a long think about this, and mm-hmm. I think I'm a child of Aphrodite. Um. It just makes sense. I'm a Virgo uh, Libra cusp, which is called the cusp of beauty. Oh, <laughs> I'm a Virgo Leo cusp, but I'm like full Virgo. Like I'm like Wait. the first few days of full And then Virgo. Phoebe's a Scorpio Libra cusp. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is called the cusp of drama, which is so appropriate Ooh. for her. Wait, what is the Wait, there's what is cusp, my cusp names? Because <laughs> you're a cusp. What are the cusp yeah, names? I'm a I'm a, a wait, which one goes first? Is it the who uh, you are? You're a then- Pisces. You're, like well, you're an Aries. Yeah, I'm an Aries. But you're oh, close to Pisces. The watered-down Aries, is that what it's going to be? I would believe Where that. do you find the name of it? Aries, Pisces. I don't remember. Pisces. I went on a deep dive on this years ago. Oh, I'm the uh, cusp of exposure. Oh, I'm not technically on it. it the cusp <gasps> of exposure ends the day before my birthday, so uh, I'm just a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also oh. a Virgo, so Virgo. There you go. Virgos unite. Power. Yes. I'm not. You're probably cusp. in the cusp. You're I'm one day after the cusp. Yeah, oh. it goes to the 17th to the 23rd. That's so lame. What mm. is there? It's the cusp of of reset and rebirth. Wow. That's not as catchy as of of beauty no. and of drama. <laughs> Those are good. Yeah. My grandpa's like a cancer Gemini cusp, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was wild. It was about what you would expect, because that's just a wild mm, cusp. Well, that's my mom. That is. I have to look that up. That's, Please tell I us have more. a friend who's so, that, and it's a lot. <laughs> I'm so sorry for this tangent. <laughs> so Virgo, so, yeah, continue. I so got anyway, very distracted. Yeah, I'm Virgo so sorry. Virgo godly uh, parent, somehow. Yeah, I also, um, I like the idea of, like, being an arrow ace Aphrodite kid. It just, the oh. vibes are right. The vibes are right. Um, that is a good yes yes i remember we had a fan theory from someone who had a fan theory that drew is a arrow ace aphrodite kid hmm. they like sent us in an audio message a while ago i think and it was well, it was like that is a fascinating one you know i really look up to drew as a character so that would be great I'm sure. 
She's actually like a really good role model. Yeah, I want to be just like her. I got nervous because just because, you know, I don't know. Maybe she comes up again next book and she's like a really good person. So I was like, oh, does Drew show up? No, no, I was. That was amazing. I want to be very clear. I was being sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) I do love mean women in general, but not Drew. Yeah. Not not that kind of mean woman. Yeah. Not, no bullies. We like a little bit of villainous mean women. Yeah. We're yeah. We like, we like righteously mean women. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's no such thing as a righteously mean man. So there we go. The, no. the two genders. Yeah, the two genders of meanness. <laughs> of meanness. Oh, so man. also our other question is, tell us a little bit about why these chapters. Because for listener context, we like put out an ask for um, – the chapters in these books, and you were like, I want the cave of Trophonius. <laughs> yeah, so um, my background is, uh, I so I grew up loving Greek myths, and then when I went off to college, I decided it would be a great idea to major in Greek and Latin, and I um, took the languages, I did like linguistics, history, archaeology, and one of the like standout moments in my entire like education was this one day when one of my professors in my Greek class was like, woke up and decided that instead of teaching us a lesson about like the uh, Plutarch we were reading was just like, I'm going to teach you all about Greek mystery cults and oracles. And she talked about the cult of Trophonius and this oracle. And it like changed me because this is crazy. (laughs) I'm so excited. I love cults. Not in like a... I want to join one kind of way, yeah, in an acceptable, uh, fascinated way, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when Phoebe was getting me to read Trials of Apollo, she was like, "Emily, you know they do all the oracles," and I was like, "No, they don't. Do they do Trophonius?" And she was like, "Yeah, that's book two. And I was like, "No." <laughs> so I'm just a huge fan. It's I'll, I can talk about it a little bit more maybe when we get to it, but yes. it's also interesting because Rick's interpretation. It's an interesting one. We'll, mm. we'll see how it checks out. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm a full on classics nerd, and I've pretty much done I've done a lot of like a pretty wide breadth of studies of like a lot of the stuff related to it. So it's part of my fun rereading this series too. Uh, is being like, oh, look at all these references I didn't notice before. That's one of the most fun things about, like, all of his work is when you recognize the things. And I think that's, like, why also because the nostalgia, but with Percy Jackson, the first series, like, a lot of the myths are ones that everyone kind of knows. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of people are more familiar with, like, Medusa and, like, I don't, I don't, I'm blanking on everyone else in that book. <laughs> but, and, like, Kronos and just, like, the gods, but they get a little more obscure as you go on because, you know, Rick runs out of characters. So that's fun when you actually know the myth and can see how it's being interpreted in these. Yeah, and also the, like, cultural context and the historical mm-hmm. context. Because a lot of these myths, um... I feel like when you sort of read them in like, you know, anthologies and stuff, they don't really talk about like when these this particular story comes up or like how we know it exists or like what version we're using. So it's kind of cool to be able to like know a bit more of that history too. Because um, one of my like little fascinations is like where the gods come from, like linguistically mm-hmm. and like anthropologically. 
Um, and so knowing all of that too is like also really fun. <laughs> Just so before we start, can you, I think I always had a trouble with it. I took a, like a couple Greek and Roman classes in college, but definitely went in being like all my knowledge is from Percy Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a mystery cult? Oh yeah. Great question. Um, so the Greeks um, would worship gods in temples and have festivals and different holidays and stuff, um, pretty similarly to, like, how you just imagine, like, our big celebrations. Um, although the Greeks would have it generally also be a little more localized um, because they're living in an age without, like, an organized central religion. Like, we were used to in America, um, you know, with, like, you know, the main religions of, like, Christianity, Islam, etc. Um but mystery cults were also kind of localized little interesting things, um, a lot of which like predate um, a lot of what we know about the people as the ancient Greeks, because um, something that's always interesting is that the people we know of as the ancient Greeks are not indigenous to Greece. Um, they actually came in um, in the Bronze Age. Uh, but um, a lot of the peoples that lived before then, um, we think maybe their kind of religions kind of turned into these little cults that are basically like it'd be like a cave where there'd be a specific rituals you'd be like indoctrinated to and like learn these mysteries um and it was like sort of a whole thing um a lot of them have to do with like the underworld and like rituals of like life and death um and um the other ones were like import cults so like the cults of isis and osiris for example Mm -hmm. which were egyptian but um they got really big in um, Greek and Roman times, and they would bring them in as well and be kind of their own cults too. Very cool. I was just wondering in the sense of mystery cult sounds kind of like a really cool club you want to join, like you solve mysteries. And so Mm -hmm. I remember when I learned about it. (laughs) Well, you solve the mystery of what happens when you die. and um... I feel like most religions say that too. (laughs) Yeah, well, so in the, if you look at the, like, Greek religion, a lot of it doesn't have, like, um, as much, like, you know, compared to, like, say, Christianity, which is sort of where I'm coming from and my um, sort of basis for uh, looking at other religions, because that's what I was raised with. But, you know, heaven is sort of a very particular concept of, like, oh, if I do this in my life, I will go to heaven and have a good afterlife. And the mystery cults were sort of the Greek equivalent to that, because if you think about like the Greek underworld, like most people would be in the Elysian, um, not the Elysian, sorry, the uh, fields of Asphodel, which are like kind of a blah afterlife, mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. good, not bad. It's very different. So um, part of the appeal of the mystery cults was like, oh, if I learn the mysteries, then I'll be guaranteed like a better afterlife. Oh, it's a cheat sheet. Mm hmm. Um, and there's a few ones we know, the most famous one called the Eleusinian Mysteries, which is based out of Athens. And like almost every like famous person that we know the name of like was part, is rumored to have been part of it. Oh my Although, God, it's Scientology. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> so sort of, we, we don't really know exactly what it is though, because they were too secretive. Yeah. That's we have no idea what they did. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, first rule of Eleusinian Mysteries is don't talk about Eleusinian Mysteries, apparently. <laughs> so it's Fight Club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, or yeah, just like with Socrates. Yeah. Oh, it's Tum- It's actually Tumblr. It's, it's that's, Tumblr. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to get into it. So we'll talk about, like, we'll, we'll go through the chapters as we normally do it. And you just chime in with your your 
with the brain cell essentially of the podcast today. So congratulations. And We're gifting it to you. It, it's small and it's kind of beaten up, but it kind of works. So yeah, it's a gift. Uh, so today we're talking about um, chapters 29 through 34. And so basically summarize what we're talking about. The way station's going to prepare for an attack and Apollo and Meg are going to be headed into the cave to get their prophecy. Dun, dun, dun. Amazing. So my first chapters are kind of like the pre-cave and then Monica's like the cave. So Emily, I feel like right in between, you're going to give us some info on like what this this cult was and yes. then we can see how it compares because I'm excited to learn. But first we have to get the pre-cave chapters. It's the era they're in. So chapters 29 through 31. 29, carrot peeling God, tofu stir fry is good, but needs more igaboya. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Also, it's a word that that Jamie says. Jimmy. Jimmy. No, it, he says JB, but then it's all Lujibi. Isn't his name Jimmy? And then he says it's. No, you've been writing Jimmy in the notes and it's not Jimmy. <laughs> I think it's Jamie and then it's like Olujime, although yeah. I say not at all an expert in how to Wait. pronounce Olujime, no, have, but that ver- sounds right to me. Sorry, my version is from the library, though. It's legal. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I will say I was listening to the audiobook, so I'm just saying it the way the audiobook said it. Okay. But the audiobooks okay. in this series are really hit or miss, so. <laughs> That's what I've heard. They're not that great, honestly. Um, yeah. From what I heard of the Trials of Apollo one that I was listening to, that one sounded better. Okay. Mine is, none of them know how to pronounce Greek or Latin, though, so I'm always just like, are those words or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I sort of have to look it up later, but, you know. Yeah. Mine says Jimmy. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, oh. now I feel crazy, but my book's not <laughs> in here. What edition do you have? Um, I got it from the library. Let's see if it has any information. If you flip to, like, the title page, it'll say, like, what edition or printing it is. Yeah. It's it does the, say Jay on the Riordan wiki. It's Alujime slash Jamie. Oh, Jimmy in the ebook editions. Oh. Oh, yeah, because I have an ebook because I got it That's from the library. That's a really weird distinction. Why would you change it for the ebook? Was something happened with Jamie? Like a copyright issue? How? Is the name Jamie copyrighted? <laughs> I don't know. All I've got is like the last five years came out. <laughs> yeah. But that isn't. That's weird. Jason Robert Brown just really came for Rick Riordan. Yeah. The epic crossover <laughs> of the century. <laughs> you can't have this name. It's mine now. Well, Copyright I guess 2017. I was wondering why you were writing Jimmy. Because that's what <laughs> it says. Okay. I believe you. Weird. Yeah. Uh, that's a weird distinction. Sorry. No wonder. We felt continue. crazy. I will. I will continue. I hadn't even started, so <laughs> <you're all good. laughs> So we start off with everyone being pissed at Lydiaerces. Am I saying that right, Emily? Great question. Um, probably. <laughs> okay. If okay. she says it with her heart, it's correct. That's true. If I, I believe. I'm trying to. Um, oh, I think I, think I typed you, you, it. Wrong. I think you. I think. Wait, hold on. I definitely spelled it wrong every wait. time I typed it. It's Lydiaerces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Okay. Cool. Liddy. Pat on my back. Liddy. 
So, because he just revealed in the last chapter that he'd put a tracking device on the Griffins, and Commodus already knows where the way station is. So Talia then vows that the hunters will stand with Joe and Emmy to defend the way station when Commodus attacks tomorrow. Calypso, Leo, and the hot guy, Jamie slash Jimmy slash later learned Alujime, also agree to defend it. And then people get start to get mad at Lydia. She's I'm just laughing because I've spelled it differently every time <laughs> I've typed it. Um, for being involved because he's like giving them some info on some insider info on Commodus. And Emmy declares that at the way station, they never turn anyone away, no matter their background. Mm. Plus, as Apollo says, lit, which he's now <laughs> calling him. And you know what? That's easier for me to type. He could be helpful with his intel on Commodus. So they all sit around the main hall to eat and discuss said intel. Commodus plans to raise Union Station, and they're super outnumbered with all his evil hordes of people. But it turns out that Meg and Apollo won't be there to defend it. Meg says that they need to go and get the prophecy from the cave at first light, even though, like, Apollo feels a little bit of guilt. Like, he feels obligated to defend the way station, which is interesting, because character development, he wouldn't have cared a book ago. And they think that getting their own prophecy might be the only way to prevent the Emperor's prophecy from coming true. Chad, a note on that. I was like, if I think about that too long, I do not understand how that works. Mm -mm. Prophecies are already so complicated. And then Rick trying to explain it this way made me kind of lose my mind a little bit. Yeah. Because I thought the whole thing was, like, every prophecy will come true in some way. You just, like, can't try to interpret it too hard because it'll never be the way you think. But then how can there be two competing prophecies? Anyways, they... <laughs> <laughs> those are the, these are the questions. They think that tomorrow will also be the best chance to get into the cave since Commodus's efforts will all be focused on the way station. So chapter 30. Lester, slap yourself. Oh, for just one night without, looking like a fool. This is kind of a filler chapter, to be honest, but before falling asleep, Apollo finds himself ch chatting with hot Jamie Jimmy and getting to know him better. It turns out he's not a demigod. He's actually a grad student. He's just like you, Manasa. <laughs> <laughs> he's also tortured, but in a different way. In a different way. And he's also like a really buff jock. Like me. Yeah. I'm actually tall. I'm not, I wouldn't claim to be buff. That'd be crazy. I'm just a, a tall jock. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, but he's apparently got into, oh, he fights on the weekends for money and he got into that to pay tuition, um, which is like some good commentary on capitalism and higher ed yeah. right there. Relatable content. Like, exactly. Like, wouldn't we all just join as a gladiator for some good money? And maybe even just as like some therapy to get some rage out of your system. Yeah. 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 And he says he didn't know what he was getting into when he signed up to do this. We also learned that his name is actually Alujime, and he says he just dumbs it down. He doesn't say it like that, but he says it's easier for Americans to say Jamie. But then I had a note here that I thought it was really interesting, the contrast, because I know we got really mad I think last book about how not Commodus Nero and his like Germ Germani men, he always shortens their name and Americanizes it because he can't pronounce their names. And I liked that Apollo immediately starts using Alujime instead of Jamie. It was like an opposite of 
of Nero there. It also like definitely plays into like Apollo's character a lot of somebody who really, he does have potential of being a good person. He's just a god. So he's yeah a bit in his own ego. But at the same time, he does care about what other people think of him and think of themselves. And he wants to be the person who learns as much as possible. So compared to other gods, at least he has potential. Yeah. That's what we ask for. I also did this, I, I feel, for Alujime, Jimmy, Jamie, because um, my Starbucks order would always be Jasmine, M, or I would give, like, a name like Sam, because mm-hmm. Manasa. So then after college, or during college, I decided that was stupid, so I started giving my actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes them a bit, but, you know, it's better than trying to make up a name. Mm-hmm. And two, it's like they can just ask how to spell it. Yeah. You know? Also, like, I do like mobile ordering a lot, mm, so I think it's mm. there. They just, you know, it's hard. They just look look at it for a long time, and I'm like, that's probably mine. <laughs> you don't have to say that. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember in high school, you used to always go first in line and say one of our names. Yeah, so just that we to wouldn't know off. what to say to throw us off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good move. <laughs> like a little bit of chaos. It's yeah, kind of power move. Right. <laughs> Be like, I'm Aaron, and then I'm like, oh no, what do I say? As if there can't be two. Yeah. And also then they'll think that the person like is copying me. It's like yeah. I make a scene and pretend that they're copying me. I'm like, come on, say your real name, dude. <laughs> Stop copying me. Yeah. I forgot that I used to do that. Yeah. I needed stimulation somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I cannot relate. My name is Emily. I am a white girl. Um <laughs> yeah. Five different people sent me that New York Times article about how common a name Emily was. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that one, but that and yeah, I was like, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I am aware. Do you always have to go by like Emily last name, like last initial? Um, no, I think it's just it's it's weird because I'm just like got an ingrained reflex now where if somebody whose voice I don't recognize says the my name, I don't respond to it. Oh, oh interesting. Because almost always it's someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like, on the other hand, though, you could you could have gotten away with double names. I mean, yeah, to say, yeah, there's plenty true. of Emilys. There yeah. were six Emilys in my grade alone. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> the name of of this generation, I think. Yeah, and um, one of my best friends growing up had the same initials as me, middle and last too. So mm. that was oh man. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always fun do not have the same problem as as alujime here no (laughs) but um so he mentions that he has a girlfriend in this whole random conversation they have which makes apollo flee because i guess apollo (laughs) thought they were they had a thing he thought they had something going on they were flirting um apollo was like 16 this kid is in grad school like at i know like youngest 23 24 yep it's yeah. like a full-grown man. Yeah. <laughs> Who fights on the weekend? Capallo, please. Kind of adorable. I forgot how much I enjoyed, though, like, Apollo as a character, like, in this way, where he keeps, like, acting as though he's a god and then, like, remembering. Mm-hmm. He's in a 16-year-old's body. And it's like, he doesn't even get himself give himself the chance to be rejected, though. He'll just kind of be like, I am Apollo. Oh, never mind. Damn it. <laughs> Just, like, runs away from the situation. (laughs) (laughs) So good. 
So he runs away to the library and he finds himself with nobody to turn to except um, our favorite character, the arrow. (laughs) And the arrow gives the brilliant advice. Well, he asks the arrow. He's like, how do I go to the cave? What do I do? And the arrow says, thou shalt take a car. And then proceeds to give Apollo driving directions in like, you know, yield English or whatever. And Apollo's like, that was not very useful and puts the arrow away. And then Leo and Calypso barge on into the library and they decide now's the time to tell him that they plan to stay at the way station after the fight, assuming they survive, which Apollo had kind of assumed because they'd been having like weird side conversations with Joe and Emmy and acting suspicious. Um, they feel at home there. They both want to enroll in local high school. I'm like, Calypso was immortal and she's now choosing to go to high school. Like, mm. <laughs> that's what she wants to do actively. It's giving the Cullens of going to high school over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> over, over again for eternity. Yeah. I get she wants to be normal, but I feel like of all the things to experience in, in the world... High school wouldn't be the top of my list. Yeah, no, not not high school. No. Well, I guess, you know, you got to learn how to use a... Uh, I was about to make a calculator joke, but I don't even think that's funny. Like... <laughs> Graphic calculator. They gotta, gotta, you so. got to... You got to learn how to... Uh, be bullied. Write a five-paragraph essay. Yeah, yeah that's really important for Calypso to learn, for her skills, for her To be fair, though... These people, like Leo, I don't know what Leo's problem is, but Calypso's never experienced high school or schooling, formal education of any kind. I feel like we are jaded and we're like, well, we hated it because we experienced it. So I can That's imagine true. someone, you know, you're watching Gossip Girl, you think this is what it's like, and then you want, you need to walk into your local high school in Indiana. So, you know, I think she just needs to experience it. She'll come running back. I, I wonder it. how she does, like, because she hasn't even yeah. taken, like, math Ever. No. I mean, maybe she's, like, learned things on the island because she was there I for hope thousands so. of years. But she has, like, I'm sure she's going to fail history. Yeah. Oh. Because she has so much to catch up on. And maybe, maybe, just maybe not, though. Hmm? She, she does ask Percy about it when he comes to visit. I feel like she kind of keeps, she keeps up with some times. I feel like Percy's not the best educational. Well, not expert. Percy. I just mean other people. <laughs> other people. That is true. That is true. She gets all her info from Percy, so she's like, um, <laughs> it's all wrong. A couple Percy be like, happen. "Bold of you to assume I paid attention in history class." Yeah. Uh, I mean, in that vein, she's probably not actually as bad compared to her local like peers. Like, I'm sure they're all true. actually on the same level of just not caring or knowing about history. Yeah, that's true. I think she can do it. I believe in her. So, yeah, they want to be normal for a year or two and hang out there. Apollo is sad to no longer have them as his quest companions, but he reassures them that he has Meg and he'll be okay. So chapter 31. Starts with a C chord. Not all the keys, Meg. C does not. Stand for chaos. (laughs) I like that one. I think that's That's a a good good one. one. Yeah. So Meg and Apollo leave bright and early with the help of Leo, who has procured them a car. They make it out of the city with only one snafu. They get pulled over by cops, but somehow the cops are, like, fooled by Apollo's license that Zeus gave to him and allow them to pass. 
Apollo attempts to give Meg a briefing about what he knows about the cave of Trophonius, but Meg declares she doesn't want spoilers and prefers to go into things with no plan at all, no context, no information. That's my girl. I kind of respect that. I think mm-hmm. I like sometimes make myself more anxious with more context. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the arrow directs them to drive until they see, or as it says, seest the road sign of the emperor and that they shall know when to stop. Then they must proceed inland to the place of two streams, must drink from said streams, and then jump into the chasm of horrors. But first they must face what the arrow calls the guardians that cannot be killed. And the arrow also requests to be left in the car because it doesn't want to go into the chasm of horrors. I will say, I completely forgot about the arrow as a character. So rereading this... I was so tickled by it. I thought that was the funniest choice. <laughs> it was. I mean, I hated it. Like, and I was so mad that it was staying. But these last two chapters actually made me cackle a little bit. Like, it was when it was giving Google directions, like turn by turn directions. I thought that was pretty funny. And then it it's, also just like asks to be left in the car. <laughs> I love that move. Like, what a mood. <laughs> I love it on a meta level also because the Oracle of Dodona is by far like the least clear, like weirdest mm. of the ancient oracles. Like you literally would go and listen to the leaves rustle. Like <laughs> I love that. That's so spooky. And like the fact that the oracles just like do this and Apollo also on a secondary meta level, Apollo is like, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me when it's like mm-hmm. very clear instructions when like every other oracle is like so vague. I just. Yeah. It's just fun. I love it. <laughs> I do find it really funny that every time Apollo's like, I don't know what it meant. And I'm like, I f- feel like that was pretty clear. It's like, so clear. gave you driving directions. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. My um, favorite uh, buddy cop duo. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good That's good very comparison. true. Um, I think I went over all my notes. Oh, I also really liked when they lie to the cops, Meg... It's like, oh, this is my brother, and he's taking me to my piano lesson or something. Like, they make up a lie to the cops. And then Meg later asks Apollo if he'll teach her to play piano, which is really cute. And it was giving Joel and Ellie a little bit with the guitar. I was like, oh, made my heart warm. I love Meg. I do, too. I love Meg and Apollo. They have a great dynamic. I'm excited to talk about Meg in my chapters because I had some feelings and I feel like they're going to be controversial. So let's go. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, but uh, before we dive into mine, Emily, do you want to just like give us some background on these caves that we're about to dive into? <laughs> we actually want the context on yeah. Meg. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers, well, please. Okay. Well, so the Oracle of Trophonius, um, it's, it's sort of like a cult slash oracle, uh, mm. but... Um, Back in the day, somebody did an experiment about which of the oracles were the most accurate throughout Greece, and Delphi came out on top, and the Oracle of Trophonius was right behind it. So in the terms of, like, the Greek zeitgeist, it's known as being a very accurate oracle. And it was also uh, known to be completely terrifying, Um, to the point that a lot of people, they used it as, like, a, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, oh, I can't remember the word for it. Um, like a, a shorthand, like expression, basically, where instead of being like he was terrified, they'd be like he looked like he'd just been to the Oracle of Trophonius. <laughs> okay, 
because this is why I'm obsessed with it. Because the rituals you had to go through to use the Oracle of Trophonius, like, I'm just going to put you in the mindset of somebody who is going to go there, okay? So, first of all, most of the time you would not go yourself if you were rich enough to hire somebody to do it for you. Mm. Um, because you did not want to do this. <laughs> okay. Obsessed with the idea of like a task rabbit to go get a prophecy. Yeah. No, like yeah, actually. That's good. Yeah. Because the thing is like Delphi is like pretty legit and like you have to hike up a mountain, but you know, it's pretty. Um, and like the donut, you just go to a grove and there's like a bunch of other ones that are like much more like sea list uh, where, uh, you know, you just like go around doing and like people would like send messengers to do it if you're like a great king and busy. But like going to Delphi was like kind of a rite of passage. Like Alexander the Great did it himself and but uh, Trophonius. Um, so what you had to do if you're going to go to consult the Oracle is you would go to this um, place in, I believe, Boeotia, um, which is in like mainland Greece. And um, it's known for being like an entrance to the underworld, like these caves there. Mm -hmm. And there are these um, streams that kind of run through it. And one of them was thought to be like the stream of like memory. And one was thought to be the stream of like the Lethe, the river of forgetting from the underworld. So again, they're like flowing from the underworld, right? Like you're an ancient Greek person who believes in all of this going in. Um, and then you'd stay kind of on the outskirts and where they had like, um, you know, places for people and pilgrims to come where you would only eat what they gave you. You weren't allowed to bathe in hot water. You had to bathe in the streams in specific ways in the cold water. They would only give you certain specific things to eat. There was a ton of ritual sacrifice. And they basically hole you up for like several days. And I suspect probably severely restrict your food. I'm guessing because you could only eat and drink very specific things and it had to all be under very strict ritual. And um, food withholding, etc. is like notorious in like modern day cults for like mind control. So that's why mm. I postulate that this is what happened, because it's the only way to really explain people's accounts <laughs> when they come out. Mm -hmm. Um and there may or may not have been drugs involved. We don't really know. Um, oh, a lot of people yeah. think this drug called ergot, which is um, like a hallucinogen that grows on rotted wheat, might have been involved with mm. a lot of the mystery cult. It would basically be like DIY LSD. Mm. Oh, There's a fun theory that people think the witch trials were caused because there was ergot in the water. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It was just like really tripping. tripping balls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, so there's some theories about that, but we do know that they would, it was very ritualized. And then um, you'd kind of be there for a set amount of days. And then when you were ready to consult the Oracle, you would go into the caves, the entrance to the underworld. They would put you in a very cramped, dark cave for the entire night and just leave you there. Oh. No food, no water. You're just stuck there. And then they'd pull you out. And they'd sit you down, and whatever incoherent things you would say, they'd write down and interpret, and you went to the Oracle. <laughs> oh, my God. So just imagine just imagine being in that cave. You probably haven't eaten in days, and you're just maybe on drugs, and you're in a dark cave at, like, the entrance to the underworld all night. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd be oh so paranoid. God. It would be. It's just, like, oof. The That's terror. so fun, though. <laughs> I'd want to know what people would say. Like, what sorts of prophecies I came know. out of that? Because I'm like, 
For example, I have a note on my phone that I've used anytime that I make as my high notes, if I ever legally, because I live in a state where it's legal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kids, if I ever take an edible, I just write notes on that. And like, I think they're funny, but like, that's the vibe of what I'd imagine people saying is just like funny things. I have you been locked in a dark room and you haven't no. been able to oh. eat properly? And I forgot the most important part is you're supposed to commune with Trophonius, who is the spirit of a dead hero. So you're not only oh. in the underworld, you have to talk to a ghost. Mm. I forgot that part. That's important. How do you do that? Does it just <laughs> come to you when you're in there? This is why I imagine it's I feel like part of it is like you're expecting it, you know, so you're mm-hmm. kind of waiting for it to happen and you'd hear probably the rivers rushing and you'd probably there's um and you're you know you're also again i suspect probably um not in a right state of mind Mm. um and it's amazing what the brain can do (laughs) it really is um it's amazing what the brain can summon uh um there's also theories that like the oracles of delphi like there was like these specific fumes in the mountain that were like probably kind of poisonous but also maybe a little trippy um, they think that might have been why it was like that particular spot. Um, there, there's always some fun theories about like drugs and oracles. Uh, some of which sense. have been tested, <laughs> but not this one because no one wants to do this. Um, no, God. I kind of would though. I feel like that would be just an interesting experience. experience. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll sponsor like that. Time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll just come back and report <laughs> what you learned. I- I'm fascinated because I I like this like narrative. I know there's like there's probably two narratives here, right? The one is that some guy did this because for some reason, like a story he genuinely yeah. believed. So he started it and then he told others about it and they built a cult around it. But I also like the second narrative that there's someone with the knowledge of hallucinogenics and it's just like I would like a following. And kind of builds it up there. It's a lot more malicious, but I love that idea because if I could go back in time and it's like a bag full of like LSD um, and and just very precarious other drugs, I would be unstoppable. I would do it for evil. What would the rituals of your cult be? Mm, mm, That's a good question. I don't. I don't think I want to go towards like the terrifying route, but I think you might have to start that way. So. Um, when I went to, uh, I was visiting family in India in December, we had to do, my mom made a promise. So she'd made all these promises to temples. And so we did like a pilgrimage around. And so one of the things she promised to do was, um, um, a harake, which is basically, she went to this really old, um, temple and you have to bathe in the specific river and then you have to, um, go in and then they perform these celebrations. But the main thing is you have to roll on the ground of the, um, of the temple, which is like all granite. And it's like, it's pretty hard. Uh, she said it was like a massage. I don't believe her, but, um, I feel like this like baby steps like that. Like you have to bathe in this river or drink from this river. is a good start. Mm-hmm. And then I think putting them, the, the cave thing is intense though. I don't know if I would want to do that. But it'd be really funny to see what people see. Maybe I just mm-hmm. have them run around in a meadow and just like be like, what did you see? Were the bees talking to you? That's my power. I made you do that. And then, <laughs> you know, ask them for money. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, um, you saw God. Please donate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please donate. Thank you. <laughs> donate um, to my pocket. 
It's how like most of the saints relics in Catholic churches work, right? Like, mm. yeah. Yeah. Actually, there was an entire like racket in the Byzantine Empire where they're starting to build like mechanics of like, quote unquote, miracles that happen in churches. Like there was a whole, there's like a bunch of different examples of like engineering feats that trick people into thinking that they were like miracles. Mm. Interesting. When you go down the rabbit hole of this, it's fascinating. It's so fun have plans and I will be going down such a rabbit hole tonight. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, yes. So that interpretation is really interesting. I mean, okay, so I also don't have a lot of context because I only have read up to these chapters. So you said Trophonius is a hero, but what I all we know is that he stole stuff, cut off his brother's head, and then disappeared, and according to this, is now haunting this cave in Rick's version. Unless he mm. is a hero, and I'm just ignoring that for later. I think so. he's referenced as a hero. I, I was trying to find um, – there's two different accounts that mention him in mythology from what I could find. Um, there's Pisanius, who writes in detail. He was uh, basically a travel uh, blogger uh, in the ancient <laughs> world. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's true. He, he went that. to – this is my thing where, like, I feel like a lot of people think history, like, people were, like, different in the past. No, they weren't. They're all the we're same. We're all the same. No. Anytime you go to, uh, like, a sports event, I'm like, this is just a gladiator fight. We're just watching men tackle each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And getting drunk and cheering. It's really, yeah. you know, people don't mm-hmm. change. Ritualized war games. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Human experience. This is what we is do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so he was a a Greek citizen of the Roman Empire. So this is back, this is when the Romans, um, were in, uh, were in power in Greece. And he just went around to all these different sites and he would write about it. And we actually still use a lot of his writings when we're excavating. I say we, like I do this, but people still use, um, his writings when they're excavating new sites to see if, uh, they can help, he can help them find where all the stuff is supposed to be, um, which is fun. Also, sometimes it shows that he was lying. Because, <laughs> like, at Delphi, for example, they're digging it up. Be like, Pisanias, you said this was on the right. It is blatantly on the left. So you've never Pisanias. been here, actually. Um, <laughs> what gives? Thousands of years later. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so he, he wrote about all these sites and a lot of the history around, like, the buildings and stuff as well uh, and would um, publish it. And it was kind of, like, to get people to go and, like, to also show people who couldn't travel, like, all of the, you know, different places they could be. And um, he did write about the Oracle of Trophonius, which is, like, I think where we get a lot of our um, information about it because he, he details, like, what you have to do to uh, go in and talks a little bit more about the history. Um, and um, Trophonius... And his brother um, are also mentioned in the hymn to Apollo, which is dates to like 600 BC, um, and it's one of the like Homeric hymns. So it's sort of one of like the first texts we have on um, a lot of the gods' stories, and um, it mentions Trophonius being a great hero, beloved of the gods, and he is entrusted to like build part to he and his brother and um, I think their father entrusted to build like the temple at Delphi. Um, so I don't know if we know why he's a great hero. We just know that he is. Interesting. Huh. Um, but I'd have to do a deeper dive on him to uh, know, to say definitively that we don't know. But um, I think it's sort of like, 
again, there's a lot of like local heroes and local mythologies because if you think about it, like, you know, this is before we have mass communication or really a lot of like major, there's probably like major roads and routes, but like Greece is quite rocky, mountainous, a lot of islands. Like there's not a lot of communication from one valley to the next. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a lot of people have their own stories and then they'll kind of cross over one day and be like, oh, that's a cool story. What's happening in my town? (laughs) Perfect. Make it mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But yeah, I suspect Tetronius is probably like a local uh, legend hero mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. um, got rose to prominence because of the oracle and because of how like mm. intense and apparently accurate it is. Mm. Cool. Well, <clears throat> let's read. A, let, let me tell you a little about it from Rick's perspective as I go <laughs> to chapters thirty-two through thirty-four. So, chapter thirty-two: pretty fuzzy cow, so cute, so warm and vicious. Squee! Can I kill him? So, the road sign that belongs to the emperor that the arrow told him to turn at is an adopt-a-highway, which um, has been adopted by the tremu. what were they called? Triumvirate. Triumvirate. Triumvirate group. Um, And so, they turn onto some countryside with really nothing going on except some meadows, some hackberry bushes, and what looks like yards yaks. Megan and Apollo head over, climbing a fence to get to the countryside and hide behind the bushes. When Apollo sees these animals up close, he realizes they are dealing with some deadly yales. So when he explains this to Meg, Meg hyperfixates on the fact that there is a school on the East Coast in America called Yale, but this is not a bunch of scholars. And in fact, they're a mythological creature that is super deadly, but it's also endangered. Aww. They kind of look like a yak mixed with an antelope. They're very fast, attack anything that moves, and also have a great sense of smell. So Apollo is realizing that they're in deep shit. Um, the kicker is that because they're kind of a forgotten monster, because the Yale's mascot is not a Yale, it's actually a bulldog, um, <laughs> they take a lot longer to respawn in Tartarus, and now they're on the endangered list. So all the gods feel very protective of these <laughs> monsters. And so if they were to kill these monsters, they'd get a curse from every single god. Now, Apollo's already cursed by uh, breaking his oath for the river stick, so he's not in a good place. So instead, once the Yales smell them uh, and they start charging, Meg has to use various plant tactics, her plant magic that still has not been explained to me, um, to buy her and Apollo some time. And they head towards a little, a little chasm in the, in the floor. Um, Paula remembers that they have to go drink from the river before they can fall into the, uh, how do I say chasm? The chasm. Chasm. Um, there you yeah. go. <laughs> and um, Meg is not really interested in doing so. She thinks it's stupid. She also does not follow directions well. So Paula takes a drink and immediately feels his mind to start unspooling. The way that it's described is kind of equivalent to like a drunk cartoon character where he's very giggly and delighted by everything and hiccuping. Um, but not, um, and the more that Meg is seeing Apollo act like this, the more she is refusing to drink. So they just decide to just yeet themselves in down into the cave before they get attacked. So chapter 33, feeling groovy, I'm drowning, freezing, snake surfing, life is good, Batman. <laughs> so Meg and Apollo fall down the cave, scraping against rocks as they go, and so bonking around and they plunge into freezing water. 
Apollo is so fully out of it that instead of like actually trying to save himself and thrashing around, he just decides to chill underwater and slowly drown. (laughs) Well, as he floats, he has a couple of visions. The first vision is Zeus at his mom's condo in Florida. Leto is begging Zeus to release Apollo from his punishment, but Zeus says that Apollo's real test is yet to come. The vision. The fact that Leto has a condo in Florida. It's accurate. What? (laughs) I feel like. She seems like she's someone who would buy a condo. She's a mom. She's a retirement age. Yeah, she's that age. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the idea of Zeus is like visiting her and just like sitting on her porch, uh, Mm -hmm. her balcony. It's kind of eek. The vision changes and like a humanoid version of the river Styx, the goddess, presents herself to Apollo to harass him and curse him for breaking his oath. Basically to scare him, to remind him that he's going to be punished by her. But Apollo is so out of it. He doesn't remember who she is. He doesn't remember what he did. And he's just having a great time. So her threats are bouncing off of him. So she decides that it's not fun threatening him when he's not reciprocating it. And so she decides to visit him later to harass him about it. (laughs) At that point, Meg pulls Apollo out of the water and they make their way through the cave. Drunk Apollo asks Meg for honey cakes. He's like, you know, for the snakes. The snakes that live in the cave. And Meg is like, you've never told me about anything to do with snakes at this point. (laughs) Um, Drunk Apollo is unbothered, mostly because while he can remember the quest and he he has all of his senses, he has no idea who he is, who Meg is, what he's ever done wrong, why he's mortal. He's just vibing. So he's like, we'll deal with it when we get there. And... He tells Meg that snakes are attracted to prophecies because they're the prophecy creatures of the earth. The same way apparently birds are prophecy creatures of the heavens. And so I was like, oh, we're going to have all four elements where Apollo is like the avatar of prophecies. (laughs) They get to a lake and an opening with a lake and um, a small island in the middle of the lake. And they notice that the entire lake is filled with thousands upon thousands of snakes. Apollo says that they have to get to the little island patch to receive their prophecy, and he just jumps into the lake excitedly. Fun. Right. Now, this is where we, things get interesting. <laughs> Chapter 34. Meg takes a solo, scares away her audience. Good job, McCaffrey. Meg screams at Apollo to sing, which he loves. He loves taking requests. <laughs> the snakes are moving towards him and ready to bite. They're also moving towards Meg. Meg asks him to sing a song that he the same one that he did at the ant's nest. A memory that Apollo does not have. So I wish I no. didn't have that one. I mean, Dear Mama Ramp, I wish I could erase that from my memory. She's talking about the like really soulful yeah. song. Right. But I'm sure he would rap if he, he, he remembered uh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, while he's like, really delighted that he gets to ch- he's been asked to sing, he doesn't understand why Meg is specifically asking for a song that will repel his audience, where he thinks singing actually brings everyone together. So Apollo is fully about to die. He's delighted because he's delighted about everything at this point. So Meg decides to sing instead. She's uneven and off-tune, but the words and the melody still work. She sings about loss and regret, and Apollo's like, oh yeah, these are about my past lovers. I was really depressed about this for some reason. Don't really remember why. But then she starts changing the words to make it about her own life. Apollo starts feeling uneasy. He has a feeling the cave is not the place you're supposed to be burying your soul. And he's right. 
The cave seems to be listening to Meg and leaning towards her in a way. The rocks are moving towards her. An interesting visual. The snakes all swim away, and so Apollo is the only living thing left in the lake. Apollo is yelling at Meg to stop, but she can't seem to hear him. Ghostly images appear, recreating the lyrics she's singing. You know, and because visual effects are important, it's like, oh, look at CGI, I can do it. <laughs> um, a man appears to hold out a rose to baby Meg, who's there. She must have been about five years old, is according to Apollo, and says, from your mother, this rose will never fade, sweetheart. You don't, you will never have to worry about thorns. Um, baby Meg takes the flower and is super happy, and the scene switches to Nero and five-year-old Meg. Nero tells baby Meg that her father has to go away, but if she's good, she'll see him again. Then the scene switches to about a year later. There's a corpse of a man who's been brutally, brutally stabbed in the gut, the steps of the New York Public Library. Cops are swarming, but they let Nero and baby Meg through. Meg is obviously horrified and does not want to be seeing what she's seeing, but Nero forces her to look. He tells her the beast did this because she wasn't studying hard enough. And if she's good, this will never happen again. Her father has the rose. So it's her father, by the way, who's on the floor. It took me a moment to get that. Um, he has the rose that she loved so much crushed in her hand and petals are everywhere. Meg finished the song and collapses. And Apollo wants to run to her. He's like sobered up. The music has and the fear of what's about to happen has sobered him up. But he also knows the danger that Meg is in has not passed. On the island, an apparition of a man is created, made up of shadows and fractals of light. It's our boy, Trophonius, and Apollo tells him to leave Meg alone. He says that she's not the petitioner, that he is. Trophonius asks then why she sang to him and asks so many questions. He said that he could trade those answers for her sanity. Apollo tells Trophonius not to punish Meg for his actions, and Trophonius says that after he cut off his brother's head, he wandered around crazy, begging to be swallowed by the earth. Because of he's Apollo's son, he kind of got his wish, but he's still alive, so he dwells in darkness. And because he's Apollo's son, he can see the future and prophecies come to him. He notes that this girl is very precious to Apollo and asks if Apollo will die to save her. And Apollo agrees. He's like, I will give myself to allow Meg to live. Yeah. Asks Apollo to promise to grant him a wish, whatever he asks, in exchange for Meg's life. And Apollo agrees. Trophonius then says he just wanted to hear Meg, I mean, hear Apollo make that promise, that Meg's fate has already been decided. And the chapter ends with Meg screaming as a million ghost bees, I don't know why they have to be bees, swarm and engulf her. It's Frank. Remember, he can turn oh, into bees. Oh, yeah, he can turn into bees. <laughs> I forgot about that. Dark Frank. This is this evil is Frank. evil Frank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the bees are actually part of the like Trifonius story, where apparently oh, they found they? the cave because there was like a swarm of bees there. Oh, Ooh, Rick were they his following research. the bees? Mm-hmm. Like they want. Ancient to writers them? love bees. I don't know mm-hmm. why. That is interesting. They're pretty creepy. I could yeah. see it. And yeah. the swarm mentality of them is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so some notes. Mm. So I thought that this, especially this last chapter, Trophonius, 
Like, we've been commenting on villains, especially we went really into how much we love Commodus as a villain because he's just so theatrical, especially compared to Gaia. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Um, And, but this was intense. This guy is evil and he's so angry. And I thought that this was such a cool villain to play someone who was, He's Apollo's son, which already adds so much. The thing, and then you kind of feel sympathy, and maybe he's a bit righteous in his anger because of the things that he had to do when he was just trying to save his brother. And so I like the dynamic of that and the, the, the festering revenge that's for centuries has been he's just waiting for a chance to torture Apollo for mm-hmm. what he did. But at the same time, he. You know, he got himself in a situation that sucked. And the only thing that he's mad at Apollo is Apollo didn't help him. Mm-hmm. Which is, he he felt he was owed to because Apollo was his father. And so it's yeah. interesting. I don't know. I really liked it. And I thought it was one of the more... And also, this whole chapter, seeing Apollo choose... He was like, I will die for Meg. Was very powerful of a character development. I feel like I've been told, like, you, like, every time I was like, wow, that character development, Apollo cares for X, Y, and Z. I'm like, eh. And this <laughs> is, like, intense enough that I was like, oh, I see it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think for me as well, it's like, because you spend so much of, especially the first series, like, seeing all these kids so angry at their parents and never mm-hmm. being able to really actually make them like, think about what they did or have any kind of power over them. Mm-hmm. And, like, like El- Percy has it a little bit at the end of the first series. But here, like, you actually get to see it happen. And, like, he- Apollo's fully mortal, too. Like, um, so I really like the, the parallels in this scene because there's so many as well. Um mm. With, like, Nero and the Beast is, like, two aspects of him versus, like, Apollo and his godly form versus his mortal Ooh. form. And, you know, yeah. their connections with Meg and also just, um, you know, there's, again, the kind of god and mortal relationship of parent and child versus, um, like, Apollo and Meg's relationship. There's just so much to unpack here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> so... The thing I want to talk about Meg is so when in the chapter that Aaron had, they're sitting in the car together and Apollo remembers how quickly Meg betrayed him for Nero. Mm -hmm. But Apollo was very quickly able to forgive her and forget and he just wants to move on. I I think I hold a little bit more of a grudge than Mm -hmm. I like to think I do. And so I was like, why though? Why does Meg get to just like walk like, away from what she did. But then also, like, that reminded me of, like, when I was super hard on Bianca for no reason. You really like to hold grudges against children. And I respect that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. After this chapter, I was like, oh, yeah, she's she's 12. Like, she's a baby. And she's a little weird, but she's 12. And, like, seeing the kind of abuse that she was dealt with, of course she's going to feel like she should go back to Nero. This is, like, typical, like controlling, horrible abuse that she's gone through, thinking that, like, it's her fault, that she's the reason that these bad things are happening. He's done a really good job of making that persona and making her feel like she had to crawl back to 
Nero. And it's kind of frustrating to me because that means that Apollo saw that and saw that she was abused and is immediately ready to forgive her. And me, a person who should be more empathetic, was like, well, no, don't. So <laughs> a moment I was like, oh, damn it. I need to like breathe about it. Also, it's like, I think if she... Yeah, you have to remember she's 12. I think if she was older, I would have a harder time, like, immediately forgiving her. But I think she's so young that I'm just like, you are but a product of your environment and your how you were raised. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I try to do a prediction at the end of my notes. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Um, I just bees. I really bees. I really think something is iffy about Meg and Georgina's parental lineage. Something is just not adding up to me. Mm. And I know that maybe we'll get more information. Maybe Georgina is just Apollo's kid and he forgot about her. But I feel like there's something more. Also, Meg can't just be like a normal Demeter's kid, right? That doesn't make any sense. The level of power. The, the obsessiveness of Nero around her. Like, why did he pick her? Like, who, who is she? I, I would love to know. Mm. So, I hopefully we figure that out. And you know, no, don't answer it. I know you can't. <laughs> Ready for some lightning bolt round questions? Yes, we are. We'll try to be brief because we know we're, we're long, longer than usual on time. Sorry. Oh, you're oh, good. No. This is great. We did this to ourselves. We were like, we need guests to fill up more than 40 minutes. And it worked. Yes. So the first question is, would you drink that I came up with? Would you drink from the two streams to get into the cave? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. I was going to say no, but okay. You were going to say no? <laughs> I, I don't, I feel like I'm crazy enough. Like, I don't want to be more crazy. But the kind of crazy he is, is like, he's so happy. And like, that's true. He's not scared. He's just doing the things. And I feel like when you're at that level of high, to be fair, he does have Meg who's constantly saving his life. Mm -hmm. But you just live more because you're not overthinking things. That's true. Maybe it would be a fun time. Maybe. I'd try it if I had someone there to to care for me you need your Meg sober babysitter yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and then (laughs) yeah you go ahead oh I was gonna say as somebody who has seriously considered like what if I just went somewhere and I I did some LSD like what would it take for me to believe I could see the future Mm -hmm. like I can't answer that question with a no like I (laughs) yeah you just want to know. You got to know the data, right? You got to respect it. Yeah. yeah. I just, I want to get in the heads. You know, I want to, I want to understand. I get, I respect that. I think I just have I want to join the mystery cult. <laughs> you and I, Emily, would join the mystery cult. Yeah. So you yeah. guys would join cults. Um, as long as it has the word mystery in front of it, mm, I'd join a cult. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so much more adventurous. Like, oh, she joined a cult. Lame. She joined a mystery cult. Mm-hmm. Exotic, fun creative mm. there's a cult of persephone too so <gasps> amazing i'm That's already perfect. in that cult let's go <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got this question on instagram from e pain asked if you had your own weapon that gave prophecies what would it be 
So it has to be a weapon. I guess so, yeah. Mm. The wood arrow is kind of stupid. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but would this weapon, like, scream at me and have feelings as I used it? Like, it goes inside someone else's know. body and is just, like, muffled screams? Because I would be traumatized. I have also, no idea. Like, killing people. Yeah, the killing people might be the traumatizing part. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, a shield would make the most sense. Hmm. I think. A what? A shield. Sh- oh, that's good. Yeah. Because it's like your buddy. Yeah. You don't use it. Yeah, I think a shield or like a sword. Something you don't like use and get rid of. I like like Piper's dagger. Like if that just showed Ooh, you. Yeah. 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 I was going to say a gun would be funny, but I feel like the gun's <laughs> persona would be really annoying. Like it would be very, it would be like a redneck and I don't He's want so that. He's so American. <laughs> It would be oh, so God. American. Be really my knee jerk answer to this question was my fist, and it predicts when I punch your face. <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. My question might be a bit of a thinker, but what is a song now and then a song from when you were 12 that scratched 12. your brain, like expressed your feelings a lot? And it could be to look around when you were 12 because, you know. And I could give you mine to start off with because I had a bit of time to think about this. So the song when I was 12, unsurprisingly, was um, In the End by Linkin Park. Linkin Park. (laughs) (laughs) But the song. That's a good one. The song right now um, would be um, The View Between Villages by Noah Khan. Those two songs, I think really express like there would be the songs I would sing if I was Meg McCaffrey just to be like trying to be sad and like except you know Lincoln Park's rapping so that would be rough yeah I honestly think my now one might also be View Between Villages or mm-hmm. also Block Me Out by Gracie Abrams was my top song of last year which like I think I after I saw that on Spotify I was like was I depressed <laughs> um <laughs> I think so. But when I was 12, I feel like that was like my The Fray era. That was a little bit. I was a little older for my The Fray era, but I feel like that time period, like uh, um, How to Save a Life was one that I really vibed to. Or um, what's the one? You Found Me. I feel like that was one I like really got emo about in like the ninth grade. (laughs) Ooh. Oh man, um, I'm trying to think. What have I been listening to recently? Um, my my problem is like I'm a writer, so most of the time mm-hmm. when I listen to music, I'm picturing like you know montages and scenes in my head. I'm not mm-hmm. like I'm not in my feelings as much. I'm in like fictional characters' feelings. Mm-hmm. That works. Too, I do that honestly. a lot. I do that too. Yeah. Um. I was trying to think, like, what was I listening to when I was 12? And all I thought of was that song. It's like, boom, 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 boom. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is genuinely the only song I can remember. That's so funny. (laughs) Nothing. Which was, it also, that's not what I was listening to. It just played a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's like what, the standout song. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the only song I remember from that era, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold on, I'm pulling up Spotify. (laughs) 
I do have to correct. I think I said in the end by Linkin Park, which I loved. Uh, that was more of six-year-old me losing my mind to it, which is very young now that I think about it. I love that. But uh, it's what uh, what I've done by Linkin Park. Oh, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. I also would like to add to my 12-year-old Haunted by Taylor Yeah, I thought you were going to say that one. Well, because that wasn't like in my own feelings. Oh. I thought that song, I, that was a fictional character song for me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Fair. If we're doing T-Swift, The Way I Loved You. Oh, oh yes, yes. Oh, I that was year old Emily's jam. Yeah. Oh, that song and haunted were like I was really into those. And I had no relationships. <laughs> I was just no, like, no, absolutely not. into them. Yeah. Like, yeah. What I've done is like a, about like you know horrors that you've committed, and you're like, oh, what have I done as a twelve year old? And I was just like, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I I um, wanted to ask this. I wanted to ask this because I'm curious. To see what other people say. I'm very, very yes. excited. Especially people mm-hmm. of different ages who grew up in different, like, eras and generations and stuff. Someone's going to say the corn song. <laughs> <laughs> corn makes whiskey. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, those are all our questions. Thank you, Emily, for hanging out for our, like, very long episode and giving us... I'm <laughs> so fascinated by this. Can I ask a question? Now. Which yes, is, yes, now that please. you heard, like, what it was, how do you think Rick did? Oh. Hmm. I think he missing the, the, the having to do the ritualistic, like, eating and being locked in a room and then going in um, is interesting because then it makes it definitely a lot more just feeds into the, oh, this is just, it's just magical. Like, it's real kind of thing whereas if he made them go through all those steps i i think a lot of us would be like so they're just delusional right now like they're just hallucinating so i think he did a pretty good job yeah i think he like made age appropriate you know like i think that if apollo had been deprived for that long like not that the con not that like being not that it's like super inappropriate but i think that apollo's mind state would not have been like a great thing to read as a like 12 year old or something Mm -hmm. he made it funny instead he made it more like funny like funny drunk apollo instead of like on the verge of death hallucinating (laughs) yeah so that was what i think i thought was interesting was the that it's he's not afraid like that's yeah a big change that is yeah it's not as like fearful he's just having a time age appropriate thing rather than anything else yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well love the cave thank you for enlightening us about the cave it was amazing wonderful happy to be play-doh yes Ooh, (laughs) good one good one deep cut (laughs) philosophy (laughs) reference oh my god (laughs) Give me flashbacks to college. (laughs) (laughs) Flashes of reality. No. Um. (laughs) But where where can listeners, I mean, I know they already monster donut, but just repeat, where can they find you specifically (laughs) or your podcast, et cetera? Your personal um, (laughs) You can find Monster Donut at uh, PJO Pod on uh, most social media sites. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. We have TikTok. Um, and, um, you also get to see some of Phoebe's amazing art on all of our social media. Uh, she's amazing. Don't know how she does it. 10 out of 10. Um, and, uh, you can find me at nine, the number nine, Emily Lime 
number nine again at uh, on Twitter. It's a palindrome. That's why it's the way it is. <laughs> um, I was a really pretentious high schooler when I made that. Um, <laughs> I get it. And um, I'm on Instagram as Emily J Garber as well. So uh, awesome. Yeah, we will. Come, uh, come listen to us analyze. We do full book, one book at a time, one episode per book analysis. So it's a little, it's a little, it's a lot. It's fun though. It's no wonder time. you're like, we record for like three hours. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Well, oh, yeah. we'll put all the links and stuff in the episode description so people can find and like tag you on Instagram. So if you're listening, that's where you can find them. Yeah. All right, for next time, um, The Dark Prophecy continues. We're going to do chapters 35 through 38. It's only going to be four because we only have eight chapters left for the next two episodes. Wild. And then if you're interested in supporting us, Patreon links in the episode description, as well as the link to send the audio message and any other relevant links will be there. As always, social media is at camphalfpod. Email us at camphalfpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen. Bye.